folks, if you enjoy our guidance about the management trinity, getting to know your people, talking about performance, asking for more, pushing work down, and our tools are helpful, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. The ideal way to learn about implementing them is to come to one of our effective manager conferences. One day, we cover all of the major topics. You practice feedback. You practice coaching. You practice delegation. I can't tell you the number of times people have said to us, wow, I thought I understood the tools. And then when I had to practice, I realized I've taken it to another level. Come to the website, check out our conference schedule, see us all over the U.S. and in Europe and in Asia and in Australia. See you there. Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, delegation, part two. Here we go. So, Mark, last week we talked about the juggling koan and why delegation is so important. Hopefully, folks are convinced right. convinced of that. So, then the, the, the natural question folks ask is, okay, I should delegate. Well, how do I do it? And no better place to come than to Mark Horseman at Manager Tools. <laughs> oh, well. Hopefully, folks saw that we can eliminate all the other rationales. Now, admittedly, it's an abstract that we've created. But I think most people would, would agree that in principle, it's accurate. And uh, a manager who really wants to avoid delegation, there's no amount of uh, convincing that'll help you. I will say this. If you don't learn how to delegate when you're a manager, you're going to fail early as an executive. Because not only will your workload double, but your need to have relationships with other people will double as well. You won't have built the infrastructure so you can delegate to people in your organization. And you won't have built the relationship skills and you won't know how to delegate. And so you'll try to keep doing it all yourself. And it's a vicious cycle and you end up failing because nobody will partner with you at the executive level. Remember what you call politics, executives call collaboration. And yes, there is trading favors at times to get things done. And if you don't have relationships and if you don't have time to work on relationships because you your head too far down in the weeds, you're not going to get stuff done. Now, look, can you get promoted to executive by fooling the executives into saying that, boy, that person gets everything done? Sure you can, but it'll be a hollow victory. Won't do you any good when you get to be an executive. It'll be a short-lived win. That's for sure. Okay, but you want to know how. It's so easy, but it's so counterintuitive to what most managers do. Now, I want to point out before we go any further that not all work that goes through you to a direct is a delegation. We have a cast called assigning work. And the difference between assigning work to a direct and delegating something is that assigning work is what you do when the person who works for you is supposed to do that work. An example is, I we use this example several times before, you're a software development manager and you have software developers working for you. If a new requirement for some code writing comes down, if you have put together a module or two or whatever it is you have to do, uh, uh, your organization has to do, you assigning that to one of your developers is not a delegation. A delegation is something that you own as part of your job. It's your responsibility. And you're delegating that responsibility and the accountability for it and the authority to do it to one of your directs. You wouldn't be doing that with work. You know, if I'm a salesman, my boss assigning me account, an account, 
that's not by definition a sales manager's account, like the biggest account in a region or something like that. Assigning me an account, is he's not delegating that account to me. He's assigning it to me. That's a work assignment. So unfortunately, what people do is they carry over their work assignment mentality, which is I have role power and Ozan's going to tell Horseman what to do. And, and because I work for you and, and if it's something I would normally do, like writing code or, or taking care of a customer that just uses role power, Ozan gets to assign it to Horseman, that people then think of giving away work and therefore delegation and work assignment as the same thing. And they apply the same principle, which is a role power principle to delegation, which is wrong because delegation is best achieved through relationship power, which is to say through influencing your directs. We're going to suggest something that many of you will not be able to do, but in principle, it's the best way to do it. And the only reason you won't be able to do it is because you just don't like the idea of the potential that you will lose. And that's in fact true. If you assign work to me, I have to say, yes, this is now yours. It's assigned. But what you're going to get initially is compliance energy and not commitment energy. The manager tools delegation model assumes that you're going to ask your direct to take over something in order to gain their commitment. And we have a rule at manager tools. Never ask a question of your directs whose answer you don't intend to honor. What that means is if Mike works for me, roles reversed, if Mike works for me and I ask him, Hey, would you consider doing this thing for me? And he says, well, I've got some concerns. I don't think I can do that. And then I say to him, I don't think you understand. I'm only being polite and asking, but in fact, <laughs> I can tell you to do it. And so therefore, really, wink, wink, you're going to do it. You learned that from Mark Horseman, right? Great. Right. And, you know, it's bad because here's the problem with that. You're going to begin to create in the minds of your directs the belief that every question you ask is simply a Potemkin Village prelude, a false prelude to you giving direct orders. When you say, hey, I need your input on something, they're all going to go, well, not really, because we're going to give you their input and you're going to tell us why it's not going to work and you're going to tell us what you're going to do. You mustn't ask questions of directs. We mustn't do it and then essentially override their answers. So therefore, our model is built on the idea that you're going to ask your directs and because we don't overrule answers, if they say no, we're going to walk away. We're not going to use role power to permanently transfer the responsibility, authority, and accountability for a task, for a particular responsibility from us to our directs. We're not going to shove it down their throats by using give, giving them an order. We're not going to do it, period. So our model is built on that, and we'll explain each step as we go. And really, there are four steps, if you will, you can break them down into eight, but the last step really has four subparts and we'll just cover them. We'll cover the last step sort of broadly because it's so simple. The first thing you do is you state your desire for help from your directs. Okay. You say, Mike, I'd like your help. That was hard. I, <laughs> that was hard and yeah. complex. But look, look, here, here's why we do that. We're trying to increase the chances that they'll say yes. Persuasion is not two blind people seeking each other out in a room, we're going to try to create a situation where the direct is motivated to say yes. And so you say, I'd like your help on something. I used to recommend you say, I need your help. And I discovered that the word need implies that 
this is going to be more forceful than you want. It's going to be more manager direct, manager to direct. And so therefore, direct said yes, because the manager said he or she needed something. But we find I'd like your help is really a softer and yet every bit as powerful way to encourage the direct to be of an open mind. So, Mike, I'd like your help. And look, guys, ask yourself this question. If your boss came to you, all things being equal, and asked you for help in a polite way, would you say yes without needing to know any details? Would you be of a mindset to be open to helping? Or let me put it differently. Let, let's, get, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. If your boss said, I'd like your help on something, would your general attitude be positive? Wouldn't you really be thinking, well, sure, if I can, I will. I'd like to know more, but sure, I, you know, I'm motivated. And, and yeah, some of you would say, well, I kind of have to because he's my boss or she's my boss. But many of you would say, no, I, look, I want the same thing for my directs. And so, yeah, if he comes to me and he's nice and says, I'd like your help on something, I, as long as he's not a, a dirtbag, okay. And that's what we find. 90% of the audience, higher than that even, says, yeah, sure. My boss wants, you know, if my boss needs something or likes me, wants me to help on something, I'll try to figure it out. Just saying you have a desire for help, that you'd like some help, increases the chances you'll get the answer you want. Now, notice we don't say, can you do me a favor? You don't ask for favors. You don't say I need a favor because, again, it's not a favor. This is work. We're asking nicely, but we're not getting personal and we're talking about work. Now, step two, we're going to tell the direct why we're asking them specifically. And we're going to either choose something that they're good at or something that they want to improve or something that they need to improve. So I, I often use the phrase need, want, like. Either they need to get better at something, they want to get better at something, they want to get promoted or something, or they like the thing that you're delegating, to, that you'll be delegating to them. You might say, you're my best writer. Now, look, I'm not trying to flatter Mike specifically by saying, hey, Mike, you're my best writer. We're trying to help him understand our rationale for choosing him. We didn't just pluck this assignment of this task to this guy out of thin air. It wasn't a massive, it wasn't a, a lucky thrown dart at a matrix of people's names and tasks. We want Mike to know we thought about it carefully and he's the right guy for this job. And I don't need to go on and on and on for five minutes because the longer I go on, the more I send a message that I'm concerned that he might say no and I'm buttering up or I'm trying to give him every possible rationale so that I can eke out a small win and he'll say yes, even though secretly he doesn't want to. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell him matter of factly, hey, Mike, you've been wanting to get promoted and I have an opportunity to get you exposure to the VP, right? Sounds good to Pretty me. simple. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's go on. So first we say, I'd like your help. And then we say why we've chosen them because of what they want, because of what they need, because of what they like. Okay. And when I say like, I include in there something that they're good at. We assume that liking means they're good at something. Now, here's the thing where people stumble. And this is where those of you who are ICs are just, your heads are going to explode. And I don't know what to tell you other than just bear with us for a couple of minutes. At this point, we ask for specific acceptance of the responsibility. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You haven't told me any of the details. Nope. You're not, a, ask not me. a one. Zip. You're going to ask me. All, okay. Okay. Yeah. See, see, I already, see guys, I'm so good. I already got him saying, okay. 
no, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I meant go ahead and ask me. Mike, are you telling me okay already? I haven't even asked. This is how good I am, folks. You I don't even have good. to ask. You and he just said good. okay like three times. <laughs> so you're not actually saying okay yet. Is that what you're saying? No, not yet. No, I'm a high not C. I, I need details. Okay. But yeah, go ahead. Me. Yeah. Okay. So look. We always ask without giving details. Would you please take over running the monthly project meeting? Will you please take over the reporting of our three biggest customers to the VP? Would you please take responsibility for budget, our budget going forward? At this point, just like Mike, most people are surprised. We don't give all the details before we ask for acceptance. We ask for acceptance first. And look, guys, there's only two possible scenarios here is the person says yes, or the person says no and has some doubts. We're going to show you how asking first is better, whether they say yes or have doubts or say no, doesn't matter. But in order to do that, let me ask you something. Suppose I said, okay, Mike, you're my best guy. So let me explain the details of what's involved. And I go through all the details of a given project. What is Mike thinking about when I'm going through the details of the project that he's going to try to decide at the end of me going through it, whether or not he's going to accept it? What kind of mindset? You tell them, Mike, what kind of mindset do you have? (laughs) I haven't asked you yet. My mindset is is I'm going to listen to all the details, trying to figure out all the problems that what you're asking me to do is going to cause me. I'm thinking about what are the reasons? What are the things he's asking me to do? Why should I say no? Right? I'm not. not, Right. That's what I'm thinking. So, Mike, what you're saying is you're going to be listening defensively. That's right. And if you listen defensively, and then I ask at the end, well, what do you think? You're going to immediately respond with the things that make you defensive, aren't you? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you all the problems that are involved in, you know, why it's going to be difficult for me to do what you just asked. That's what I'm going to tell you. And then I have to go back over everything and tell you how you're wrong. And this is all because... I gave you the details before I asked. This is how role power works. Seriously, you give them the details and you've always known you can get them to say yes simply by mandating it. And so you don't think of it from a persuasive point of view. But let's look at it from the point of view of asking first. This is where the role power is, folks. This is how to be respectful of people. The first thing you say is, would you please take over? Now, you might say, wait a minute, Mark's being manipulative. He's not being respectful. No, hogwash, guys. I don't have a, I don't have a manipulative bone in my body about this. I'm going to ask you first, would you please take over? And you can't call me manipulative when 80% of the people who are asked, would you please take responsibility of this thing, say yes. I'm not trying to avoid telling you. I'm going to tell you all the details. I'm not trying to avoid anything. You're welcome to say no. Now, look, if you're a manager who has overridden your direct answers to questions and then given them orders, okay, fine. Then this may not apply to you. But we assume that's not true for the majority of you. We assume you're you're ethical and reasonable and professional managers. Okay? So, we ask first. There are two possible outcomes, a yes or a no. 80% of people say yes. 80%. Now, Mike, if you've said yes, if I say, would you please take over the writing of the monthly briefing script, for instance, and you say, sure, I'll do it, how then are you going to be listening when I walk you through the details? I'm going to be listening a lot differently. One, 
I'm probably going to take notes because I've already agreed to do it. So now there I'm you thinking go. about, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to do it? <laughs> Not how to right. no, exactly. I've already committed, unfortunately. Yeah. The word how comes up immediately. People say, I just committed verbally to my boss out loud that I was going to do something. And so immediately people start thinking how. In other words, you're answering proactively. You're going to listen proactively. You're going to take notes. And taking notes is the single biggest, easiest discriminating behavior to see when you start asking first and people say yes. People start taking notes. And you know at that moment the ball has passed them and they own it. And that's what you want. You don't want them fighting the ball off because if they're fighting it off while they're listening, they're not listening. They're fighting it off. Okay. We get better listening when we ask and get a yes. So that's the first reason to do it. Well, but then everybody says, well, Mark, okay, but what about the no? Right. The 20%. It's still no, better. Remember, 80% say yes, right? So. Right. What about 20% say no? First of all, if 80% of the time, every manager in the world who offered to delegate something, asked somebody to take responsibility, if we allowed them to say no 20% of the time, and we're making a clear distinction here between delegation and work assignment, there wouldn't be any delegation problem in the world. Delegation wouldn't be a fundamental weakness of 99% of the managers in the world. If managers did it this way and they got an 80% acceptance rate, they'd run out of things to delegate. So we could just leave it there and not even talk about the no. But the beautiful, the, the no to the question, would you please take over or will you take responsibility without knowing any details? But we have even better news. The 20% of the time, let's say it's 20%, 80 and 20 is 100%. When they say no, it's still better to get a no before you go over the details. It's not what you might think that we're going to roll up our tent and walk away. Not at all. We're not done here yet, although we will absolutely honor a no. We're going to do what every persuasive person, what every salesperson in a sales persuasion situation does, which is attempt to find out what the objections are. So when somebody says, I have doubts or concerns, says, no, I really don't think I can do it. The smart manager at that moment says, well, okay, yeah, that's okay. What are your concerns? I'm worried about my workload and my commitments to VP on Project X. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Now notice, guys, he's expressed concerns, and I'm validating his concerns. I'm saying, yeah, that makes sense, Mike. I mean, yeah, we're, we're all busy, so workload's always an issue. Totally understand. And yeah, I don't want you dropping the ball on Project X with the VP. No way. If I could address both those things and make you feel okay about them relative to this new work, would you be okay? Sure. There you go. And folks, he just said yes. The hook has been set. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's funny. We joke about this, Mike. We use phrases like the hook has been set. And yet there's a group out there who's listening or like, ooh, I don't like that. And I got to tell you something. If you're that person, if you think this is manipulative, first of all, you're wrong because manipulation requires some darkness in somebody's heart. And I don't have any because in my heart, if I truly get a no from Mike, I'm not going to delegate to him. And because of that, I'm not trying to manipulate him. Manipulation is when I'm going to get him to do it by hook or by crook, including lying if I have to. But more importantly, if you think he should just do it and he doesn't, you're going to be reduced to role power. And if all you have is role power, when you become a more senior manager and executive, you're going to be undermanned in the kind of situations that you need persuasive power. You need commitment energy rather than compliance energy. 
if there were not a good reason for me doing this particular task, you wouldn't be asking me. You'd be asking exactly. somebody else. So look, we, we yeah. assume manager, Mr. or Mrs. Manager, we assume that you have good intent and you're picking the person for a reason. They're the best qualified. They need it to develop or one of a hundred other good reasons to delegate to them. Yeah. There's an assumption here. And we've said it before that some of the manager tools tools can be used for ill, right? If you're an unethical bastard, you can use some of this stuff to get what you want. And that's too bad. And I wish we could avoid that, but we're not in the business of, of intellectual property security when it comes to avoiding people cheating with our stuff. We don't believe you will, but you might. Okay. So Mike says no. And what he's done is he's come up with an objection. That's what we call it in sales, an objection. And guys, believe it or not, salespeople love objections because the objections give them clues to what the concerns are of the person they're talking to. And so that's why I asked, if I can address your concerns, we'll be okay with that. And so it sounded like, if I can sort out your workload, Mike, and, and you can feel better about Project X, you're going to be okay with that? And the person will either give you more concerns, and you can repeat the step, or they'll say yes. And now here's the beat of it. When I go through the details now, I'm going to spend specific time addressing workload and Project X that Mike is working on for the VP when I deliver the details. I'm going to address his concerns. In fact, I'll probably say to him, well, what I did say is if I could address those concerns, and now he's listening to hear the details and for me to address the concerns. He feels his concerns are going to be addressed rather than me talking and then him developing the concern on his own separate from what I'm talking to him about. And again, it once he says, sure, he's going to listen better. He's going to listen objectively or offensively rather than listening defensively. So less likely you're going to have to repeat yourself. At that point, now we describe what's involved in detail. And it starts with, here's what's involved. And you describe what the direct is going to be doing and you address the concerns. And I say, I say to Mike, dude, this is going to take 30 minutes every other week. I think you're okay on workload. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> and I think I can get you some help on the VP project. It'll take a, couple hour, take a couple hours off your workload. Cool. All right. Yeah. And now suddenly you're like, okay, I don't have my concerns anymore. And he's already said yes. And so now he's taking notes and he's thinking, how am I going to get this done? Now, mind you folks, you might be thinking, well, Mark's piling on. He's giving him too much to do. Remember what we said in the delegation, in the juggling koan part of this cast, the first part of this cast. Guys, I'm not shy about giving Mike too much to do. If you're a manager who says, oh, I wouldn't want to give my people too much to do, and you hear them saying they're busy and you won't give them anything more, you're stunting their growth and you're slowing down the growth of your organization and the productivity of your organization. We want people somewhere between a comfortable stasis and an incredible level of eustress that becomes distress and so they get freaked out. We want people feeling like there's too much to do because in a world where there's too little to do, people too, spend too much time on the wrong things and we get low productivity and low profitability. We want Mike always to have one more thing to do than he can do. That stress is going to cause him to get better. This is why we don't, when one of our directs at the lowest level has 20 balls in his box, we don't say to him, 
rank order your balls in the box and we can decide which ones you aren't going to do because they won't do it. Without the stress of more to do, they're going to protect everything they're already doing. So I want him to say yes. And I know I'm asking him to say yes through a persuasive technique, which by the way, all of us use all the time in all kinds of situations. I'm trying to get him to say yes, even though we both know it's going to be more work than he has time for. Because that stress will cause him to get better at everything and potentially to delegate himself as well. Easy. Now, the last four steps are deadline quality and reporting standards. And also the last step, that's the, the next three steps is tell him the deadline, tell him what quality standard you have, and then any reporting that has to be done. And generally in the beginning, the reporting should mimic whatever you had to do, although if it's your responsibility, maybe there wasn't reporting you had to do. Sometimes you have to do it early because you're the one responsible for sending up reports. But I have to say, we've talked before about delegating your reporting responsibilities to somebody else because doing a report is not managing. Preparing the report is not managing. And we believe every manager ought to be able to read a report that is about his or her business and without having prepared it, learn as much as if they had prepared it themselves. And the last step, this is step eight, you ask, what do you need from me? Ask for skill and resource needs. Now, you got to be careful. Hopefully, if you've briefed properly, properly, your direct won't need anything. You'll have time to get to that project in the back burner, nothing wrong with that, or you'll now have time to get to that big orange ball your boss has given to you. Be careful, though. We've got a cast on avoiding reverse delegation, okay? You got to be careful about that. When they say, well, I need you to do a couple of things, don't just immediately say yes, we joke about the, the manager's favorite letter in the English language ought to be the letter C, Charlie, and we recommend that every manager hold up their left hand in front of their face and form a letter C with their index finger and their thumb. And then when the direct says, I need you to do some things, when they say, I have a problem, all you do is turn your thumb and forefinger pointing toward them and then pretend a bullet comes into one end and goes back out the other like a, like a tube that's in a U, sort of like a U-tube, although that's a really bad pun. And um, the bullet comes in and it goes right back out, kind of like a boomerang. And you say, yeah, you have a problem. I'm not going to do that for you. You call my peer. You can call the VP. She knows who you are. It'll be okay. Now, I want to go back to one more thing. Some managers are saying, I can't do this because quality will dip. Okay, we're not going to argue that quality might dip. But the statement, I can't do this because quality might dip, is a joke. Because when you were doing it at the beginning of the task that you were doing, whenever you started this task, you stunk at it compared to the time you did it now. And whatever you did in the beginning, you apparently got to keep your job. Maybe you got in a lot of trouble, but you got to keep your job. And the organization didn't suffer enough that heads rolled because it would have been yours that rolled. Your gradual improvement in your skills on the thing you're delegating to masks for you how hard you had to work and how poor the quality was or what it would look like now if you look back on your early work. There is going to be a dip in quality, and the standards probably for the work you do are high enough that the dip in quality still won't go below minimal acceptable standards. And if they do make mistakes, they're making it under your auspices with you as air cover, and you're going to be able to protect them. And in a couple of months, it's going to come back up. And the beauty of it is it comes back up in terms of quality levels within a couple of months. And then for the rest of the time, the quality is the same as when you did it, but you don't have to do it anymore. You're saving your company the amount of time you spend on it and the amount of time they spend on it and the difference in your salaries. And that begins to add up and you have a half an hour or an hour free time every week given back to you. 
and your directs are learning something so that when they get your job, they'll already know that part of the job so they won't have to learn everything all at once and get overwhelmed. And as we've said before, managers can be evaluated based on whether or not their directs get promoted. Executives get evaluated on whether or not when their managers get promoted, they do well at the next level. You can't just promote somebody and then feel bad that they didn't do well. You're supposed to prepare them for promotion. And that means giving them part of your job now so they can learn it early. We said before, you got to delegate running your meetings to all your directs. Every one of your directs needs to be able to run a meeting. They need to be able to give a presentation for you. They need to be able to manage a project. How do they do that? You delegate running meetings. You delegate giving presentations. You delegate managing projects. That's how you do it. Not rocket science, but it works. If you want to be successful and you yeah. want to grow, you have to do it. I had a conversation recently. I want to say it was in Newark, but, I, but it may have been Orange County. It may have been Atlanta for all I know. And I remember somebody coming up to me and said, well, easy for you to tell me that. I mean, because in part they, they said, you know, you're a small company. And I'm like, well, I did this for years. You understand. I, I really did do this for years um, before I ever asked you to do it. And he says, well, yeah, but it's different and so on. So, well, I'll tell you, I delegated the writing of Career Tools Casts within two months of Wendy getting here. And within a month, she was writing them. And wasn't it like a year later that you realized, Mike, you couldn't tell her cast for mine? Yeah. Or it wasn't even a year. No, it wasn't it even was a year. It wasn't you're year. like, I can't, I can't tell them apart. Yep. Now, look, there's nobody who was listening to our cast who would have said, after listening to us for a while, if you listen to us in the beginning, guys, um, it's been seven years now. And by the way, for those of you who download show, our shows from iTunes and, and you think we only have 60 shows, what you've gotten in some cases is the most recent 60 shows. And there are 500 of them. And you can go to our website and find all kinds of recommendations about RSS feeds, how to get more of the casts and so on. And I'm kind of amazed. People said, I, I can't believe you guys are doing this. It's such high quality and so on. And, and it was seamless to everyone. Seamless. When you started writing them and I was still recording them. People today still assume I write the Kirchhoff's cast. Why don't I? Because I delegated it to Wendy because there were other things I needed to do. And she was better at it than I was. Another thing, we hired Danny Martin. And Danny Martin is now doing conferences. And the plan was it would take her six months in order to present well enough that I would not have to go to conference, every single conference. We've been doing it for three, three and a half months. And she's ready. Now, I delegated that to her. These are two of the biggest things our firm does, delegating writing 50% of our casts and delegating the presentation of our public conferences. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it on stuff that you would consider jugular, stuff that arguably we shouldn't be delegating. And we did it. Why? Because we have really good people and I was willing to oversee them and make lots of suggestions and give lots of feedback and coach them through the process. And Danny will tell you, I've given her lots of feedback about stuff she does well and stuff she doesn't do well. And that's why she's ready. And some of you might be thinking, ask yourself, if I went to work for Manager Tools tomorrow, could Mark trust me with an audience in three months? I would say that a lot of you might say yes, but many of you would be wrong. And how do we do it? I delegated it to Annie. We followed the model. And she said, I have concerns about this, this, and this. I said, okay, I can address each one of those. If I can address them, are you going to be okay? Yeah. <laughs> I remember very clearly her saying, yeah. So folks, state your desire for help. I'd like your help on something. Tell them why you're picking them. Don't imply that it's just random. Tell them that's because they want something or need something or like something or they're good at something. 
ask them for acceptance first, then explain, address their concerns if they have any, when you explain. Go over DQR, the deadline they have, the quality standards you ask for, and reporting. And then at the end, ask them, what do you need from me? Not hard, but great. Pretty simple. And more of you should be doing it. That's all I'll say. Yeah. It's a huge weakness. All of us uh, could do more of it. If you want to develop your people, if you're wondering why your people aren't developing, it's because you don't trust them enough to give them stuff and have them fail under your auspices. Let them fail some more. Delegate to them. There you go. All right, my friend. Thank you. You bet. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it for Delegation. We'll see you on other casts. Take care.